Kenny mentioned we were beginning a, last week a, a new sermon series, and today we're looking at part two on principles to live by. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, or uh, look with us to the book of Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans chapter 8. As we begin reading with verse 28. While you're turning there, let's talk about the most important thing. Last week, my kinder egg, <clears throat> I said I would share with you the toy. It's a squirrel. And they give you a, a paper, something, wreath, and you try to do that. It's impossible to do this. Not that I spent too much time on it but three hours later I still couldn't get this thing <laughs> disc golf is easier than this so, anyway, so that's that's it I won't leave it there thank you I had explained this while this was on my desk when people came in I'm going Retirement's coming faster than you think. Okay. <clears throat> Book of Romans chapter 8. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible. As Paul is describing uh, the reason we are to trust God. Look at the passage beginning with verse 28. <clears throat> Paul writes. And we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And also those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? <clears throat> If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Pray with me. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, we ask you today, help us as we take this passage to understand, Father, how we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In August 1932, Thomas Dorsey, a black band leader and accompanist, was on top of the world. 
He had just been hired as the chorus director at Pilgrim Baptist Church in, in Chicago. His wife was about to have their first child, and he was excited. During that time, he was also invited to go to uh, St. Louis for a music conference, and he didn't really want to go because his wife was expecting. She said for him to go ahead, everything was going to be okay. <coughs> While he was there, Dorsey received word that there had been complication in the childbirth, and he raced back to Chicago, but both mother and child died. It was at the double funeral he fell into deep depression. He began to question his faith. He began to question God. He began to question everything. He even thought about giving up not only the ministry, he thought about giving up Christianity. Dorsey's friend and fellow chorus director Theodore Fry invited him to a dinner. And while he was there, after the dinner, Dorsey stood up, meandered to the piano, and began to play a hymn. He began to play, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone? The lyrics, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. And he began to play that and then he started singing lyrics that he made up as he was playing. And as he's playing the song, as he's singing the song, he, he motioned for Fry to come over. And as he's playing, he said, blessed Lord, take my hand. And Fry stopped him and said, no man, don't, don't call him blessed, call him precious Lord. And Dorsey liked it. He said, it does sound better. He went home, and it took him about two more days to finish the song. And Dorsey wrote this hymn, Take My Hand, Precious Lord. The next Sunday, he sung it at church. And the words, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. When he finished singing, he looked, and the congregation were on their knees praying. Everyone was crying. Everyone was celebrating what they heard. The song proclaimed that no matter what happens, you can trust God. No matter what happens, you can trust God will hold on to you. That was the song that he was singing. He lost his wife. He lost his baby. He almost lost his faith, but he kept trusting God. This series, we're looking at principles you can hold on to, principles that you can live by. These are principles I, I believe every Christian should, should live by because if you do, you can live a strong Christian life. Today's principle is very simple, but it's foundational. The principle today is we must trust God in all situations, even when we do not understand everything. We must trust God in all situations, even when we do not understand everything. That's the key to the Christian life, that God is trustworthy, that we can trust God. You say, well, how can we believe this? I mean, how can you believe that statement? You can believe that statement by believing that God is in control of all things. If you hold on to the belief that God is in control of all things, then you can trust God in everything. Now, the theological word for this, the theological phrase, the big word is the sovereignty of God. That's what we're talking about. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is foundational throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It says basically, God is God and you're not. That's what it says. It says that when God acts, he has the right to do whatever he so desires. When God makes a decision, he has the right to make any decision. He possesses all knowledge that you and I will never have. We trust God because he knows all things. This doctrine says that you and I do not have the knowledge, the eternal knowledge that an all-knowing God knows, and we will trust him. There are going to be many things in this world you're not going to understand. There are going to be many things in this world you're going to say, where are you, God? 
but you have to trust God. I remember, almost like it was yesterday, when our son James was, as a baby, was given his first shot. I, I still see this image. I mean, there he is. He's sitting in Eileen's lap in a strange room, looking at a strange man with his dad standing beside him, and they are laughing about something. And then all of a sudden, this strange man takes this sharp metal stick in front of dad who could have stopped him and didn't while mom is holding me in his lap in her lap and she didn't stop him and this strange man takes this sharp metal stick and puts it in my flesh and stays there for a second takes it out puts a band-aid on and walks out and no one stops him he was not punished at all and I remember this because James, it took him a second before he cried. It was like he, he went, and then he started crying. Like, what is going on? Is this what I have to look forward in life? These are my parents? You're going to let strange people come in and stab me with sharp instruments? So I had to sit down with our baby and explain to him <laughs> microbiology and germs and infection and the science of immunization. And then I had to review some biology. And there's some chemistry I had to go over with him in case he didn't understand. I showed him charts of statistics based on what would happen if he didn't get the shots. And then I had to give him a course in logic and probability so that he could understand all of this, so that he would understand we are protecting him from something in the future. No, I didn't. He wouldn't have understood any of that. We held him. That's what we did. We held him while he cried. There's no way a baby's going to understand what took place. In the same way, there are things that are going to happen in your life you're not going to understand at all. God has more knowledge, more understanding, more understanding what's taking place in the future than you ever will, and that's why we have to trust in God. If God explained it to us, we wouldn't understand. Trusting God means that we are trusting in his sovereignty. Trusting God means that life is never out of God's control. No matter how much it appears to at certain times, we believe that God is in control. Because listen, if God is not in control, you know what that means? This world is chaos and random. That would scare me worse than anything else. That everything in this world is just random and chaos. I wouldn't even drive on contest road. It's scary enough as it is. But to think it's random? Trusting God says, I believe in his sovereignty. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be heading, healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We are to trust God. And the bottom line to this it means we act as if God is telling the truth, okay? We're going to act as if God is telling the truth. And of all the passages in the Bible that talks about this, this is the best one, the book of Romans chapter 8. Now, we don't have time to look at this whole chapter. I wish we, we did, but I want you to notice in verse 1 what Paul does in, in verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, 
Paul begins this, this chapter talking about in Christ Jesus. Now, that's Paul's favorite phrase. 164 times he says in him, in Christ, talking about believers. Then the last verse of this chapter, he ends with, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is doing. He, he has bookends. He begins in Christ Jesus. He finishes in Christ Jesus. Why is this important? Because of this. What Paul writes in chapter 8 applies only to Christians. Okay? The promises he's giving here are only for believers. It's not for non-believers. Now, am I saying non-believers can't trust God? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. You can trust God. But the promises we're talking about today, these are for believers. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, if you're watching online and you're not a believer, I encourage you to keep listening because you can trust God. But the promises in chapter 8 are designed for believers. So this morning, very quickly, what are some ways we can trust God? Number one, we can trust God in his purpose. We can trust God in his purpose. Look at verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Elton Trueblood, the, the Quaker writer, said, After the death of his wife, if I had to have all the Bible taken from me except one verse of Scripture, it would be Romans 8.28. Powerful verse. The problem is, this verse has been misused by a lot of people. A lot of people have used this verse to, to attack people who are suffering. So also, this verse has been misquoted. I, I've had people tell me, oh, this means that, that uh, everything is going to work out at the end. Uh, this tragedy is a good thing. It really doesn't say precisely that. It's also been misunderstood. Many people have taken this out of context and said that every bad thing that happens to you is a good thing. That's not true. So what does it mean? Well, let me first tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? I don't want to be misunderstood. Paul is not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you if you're a Christian. Some people say that. That's not what he's saying. There are some people who say, if you're a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Really? I can argue that. Look around. Look around. Not everything that happens to you is good. Cancer is not good. Bankruptcy is not good. Being in an automobile wreck is not good. Look at the Bible. Uh, the apostles. Ten of the apostles, apostles were killed for their faith. One was thrown into exile. Read the book of Acts. Many Christians were killed, and I mean tortured or killed. The apostle Paul spent most of his time in prison. So this idea that nothing bad happens if you are a Christian is ridiculous. That's not what he's saying. Secondly, it's not saying everything will work out for your present materialistic gain. Now, some people will say that. Some people will take this verse and say, God's going to turn this around, and I'm going to gain materialistically. doesn't say that. It's not saying everything's going to bring you fame and fortune. Trust me on this. I, I testify. It doesn't mean that. Famine or drought will bring them wealth. Maybe not. You just don't know. It's not saying that. So what is he saying? Well, let's look at it. He starts with the word and. I've said this before. We read the Bible too fast. We study it too fast. The word and there means he just said something. Kind of like therefore. And. What did he just say? We don't have time to look at it. But what Paul just finished saying is the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
in verse 26, that word help is a very intense word in the Greek. I mean, it's almost as if Paul put it in bold letters, all caps, and, and did a yellow highlighter on it. He helps us. And it's in, in the Greek, it's in the present tense, meaning continually and constantly, he doesn't stop. The Holy Spirit is constantly helping you, especially in your prayer life. He also said he helps us in our, when we are weak and weary. That, that word means without strength. And so the Holy Spirit is constantly helping us, believers, constantly helping us in our prayer life and living the life that God wants us to be. In that setting, now Paul says, and also, not only the Holy Spirit, and we know. Paul says, we know. He doesn't say we wish. He doesn't say we think or we desire or we imagine. Paul says, without hesitation, we know. We may be hurting and suffering, and we may be going through hard times, and we have, but we know that God is with us. We know the sovereign God is still active. Everything we face, everything we face, God is in control. Either God allowed it or God brought it to us. Whichever case you may be, God is in control. We know. We trust God. We believe this fact that God is God and I'm not. That's what it means. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55 verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, declares the Lord. We don't think like God. We can't. We know that all things. Wait, he didn't say some things. He didn't, even, he didn't even say most things. Paul says, we know that all things, everything that comes in my life, all things, there's no exception, no caveat, everything. It means all the bad, the good. It means the, the poverty. It means prosperity. It means everything, every season in life. We can trust God for his purpose. David Jeremiah, the, the preacher, said this. He said, too often we try to use God to change our circumstances while he is using our circumstances to change us. We know that all things work together. God is working always in your life. God's working in your life right now. And I love this passage because it is, he's working all things together. Whether we see him or not, he's working together. Things just, doesn't, just don't happen on their own. God works all things together. God can take the, the bad and with his sovereignty, can turn it into something good for his purpose. That's what he's saying. Together is the key word. Do you realize every one of us, most of every one of us, will eat two deadly poisons today? Some of you have already done it. Some of you have already eaten deadly poisons already. You've eaten sodium and chloride. Now, together it's called salt. But if you eat it separately, it's poison. But together, it changes everything. That's the, the power of together. I mean, I like, I like fudge. You know that. I love, I love eating fudge. Guess what? I like it together. I don't start with the butter. Oh, this is good butter. Hey, I mean, pa pass the sugar now. Oh, this is good sugar. Hey, pass me that marshmallow. It wouldn't be the same. I like fudge together in the ingredients. That's what Paul is saying. God brings it together. Then he says, for good. Now, our definition of good is not the same as God. The good here is God's will will get the glory. God's will will achieve his purpose on this earth. God's good is that we become more like Jesus. That's the good here. It's not that you get more money or you're going to have a better deal. That's not what he's talking about here. I mean, the definition of despair is to suffer without meaning. 
whatever you're going through now, whatever you're going through now, God can find meaning, God can find purpose, God can find focus as he works together with your situation to bring out good for his glory. And isn't that what we want? I mean, I love this promise. I mean, what God is saying is, he can take the sins of my life, the stupid things I've done in my life, the mistakes I've made in my life, the suffering in my life, and he can take it, and with his sovereignty, he can turn it together to achieve his purpose. That's an incredible promise. God can take all that, all the problems we have, and weave them into this giant, great program and plan to bring good out of it. We just don't see it. Eileen used to do cross-stitching, and when I earned my doctorate, I finished my dissertation, she made this beautiful picture of a saying I kept on my desk, I said every morning. And every morning I I would have the saying, when I face a mountain, I will not quit. I will keep striving until I climb over, find a pass through, tunnel underneath, or simply stay and turn the mountain into gold mine with God's help. I said that every morning. So she made it. It was beautiful. Hung it on the wall. Had a picture of a mountain. But you know what? If you turn it over, it wasn't that pretty. It was ugly. You had collars that didn't go together. You had dangling strings. On earth, we're seeing the dangling strings, okay? God is seeing the picture. It makes no sense to us what we're seeing, but God sees the picture for good. Secondly, we can trust God in his protection. We can trust God in his protection. Look at verse 31. What what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who is against us? Now, a lot of times we read that like a question, but Paul's really not asking a question because you can say, well, the world, the devil, the Satan, no, uh, the demons, he's not saying that. What he's saying is a proclamation. If God is for us, who can be against us? It makes no difference. If God is for us, then we don't care who's against us because they can't hurt us. That's what he's saying. The word for means being above. Against means to, to down upon. God is for you no matter who's looking down upon you. That's what he's saying. Since God is for us, who can be against us? Why do you care? I mean, who can intimidate you? Who can bother you? Who can stop you if God is for us? We shouldn't be afraid or scared of anything because we trust the sovereignty of God. We can move forward. Third, we can trust God in his personal love for us. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You see, sometimes you're going to get in situations or circumstances, you're going to doubt the love of God in your life. You're going to think God has left you. Who's separate? That word separate, we get the word amputate from it. He says, who's amputated you from the love of God? It's impossible. And so Paul gives this list. It's a great list. He says, tribulation. Now, by the way, that means outward pressure. It means pressure from, from above. Distress. That means narrow place. That means pressure from the sides. Persecution. Well, we know what that means. It means suffer for your faith. Famine, that's a severe want of food. Nakedness means you know, lack of clothing. Peril, idea of imminent and incessant danger. Sword means death. Now, if you go back to the book of Acts, guess what? Paul's already faced six of these when he wrote this passage. He will face the seventh one when Paul is martyred for the faith. Paul is saying, look, nothing's going to separate God's love from me. You see, we all face trouble from the outside. We all face trouble from the inside. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. 
nothing. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because Jesus went to the cross. He died on a cross for me. He died on a cross for you. When I doubt the love of God, I just remember how much God loves me. That much. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. We trust God in persevering us, preserving us. We trust God in preserving us. He, he, he goes on to say in, in verse 38, for I am convinced. And then he gives this list. He says, nothing is going to take us away from the hand of God. Paul is persuaded. I am convinced. I am sure. Very strong words here that he's going to give. Nothing can take me away from the hand of God. I cannot lose my salvation. I cannot lose God's hold on me. And he gives extremes there. Did you notice? He gives the extremes of ex existence. He said, neither death nor life. That's an extreme. I mean, for the Christian, death is gain. We gain heaven. But no, for some people, life is more challenging than death. There's the extreme of spiritual forces. He says, neither angel nor principality. Well, angels can't separate us. Demons can't separate us. The extreme of time. He said, no things present nor things to come. Nothing happens today. Nothing will happen next week. Nothing will happen next year that will separate me from God. The stream of enemies, he said, nor powers. He's probably thinking of the Roman Empire. The Romans can't, can't change this. They can't pull you away from Christ. The extreme of spaces, he said, neither height nor depth, neither heaven nor hell can separate you from God's love or remove you from God's hands. The extreme of creation, no, not anything else in all creation. This is Paul's catch-all. I love this. It's almost like Paul forgot everything. He said, I, whatever else. There's nothing else out there that will ever take you away from the hand of God. In the face of death, there's the resurrection. In the face of illness, there's eternal healing. In the face of danger, there's the right hand of God. In the face of confrontation, there is confidence. In the, in the face of the serpent, there's the cross of Christ. In the face of loneliness, there's compassion. Nothing, nothing will pull you away from the hand of God. He will preserve you. We can trust God. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is trusting God. It's depending on him. It's resting in him. It's your dependence upon him saying, God, I believe you that once I give my life to you, you hold on to me and nothing will ever take me out of your hands. It's not based on me holding on to God. It's based on God holding on to me. We can trust God. Hen Pham lived in Vietnam. Shortly after Vietnam fell to the communists, they arrested him. Because he helped the Americans. He was also a Christian. They threw him in jail a few times. They finally threw him in jail for a long period of time. Trying to destroy his faith. He couldn't read anything religious. He couldn't read anything in English. They only let him read the communist propaganda. And he began to fall. Under this pressure. He began to doubt the existence of God. He's in prison. Where are you God? He began to doubt the truth of Christianity. He got to the point that he decided, I, I, I'm just going to give it up. I'm just going to turn my back on all of this. The next morning, he was assigned to clean the latrine, the worst job imaginable. And so he was angry. He was bitter as he's cleaning the latrine. And he was he, cleaning out a, a tin can filled with overflowing toilet paper. He, he, he saw a piece of paper that was, had English writing on it. He grabbed it and cleaned it and put it in his pocket. That night, he looked at it. It was a page from the Bible 
the book of Romans chapter 8. He read these words, We know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he began to weep. He realized, God, you still love me. Even in this prison, you, you still care for me. He said, I'm not going to give up. I will trust you. The next day, he asked if he could uh, clean the latrine again. They thought he was crazy. Nobody wants to clean the latrine. But he was hoping maybe there's another page. And sure enough, there was another page, and he would clean it and take it. Apparently, there was an official using the pages of the Bible as toilet paper. And every night, he would read the Scripture. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they released him. And Fahm decided he was going to leave Vietnam. Fifty-three other people decided to join him. They built a boat to escape. One day, came a knock at the door, and he opened up, and there was four Viet Cong there. And they said, we heard you're going to escape. And Fahm said, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? We are not going to escape. And they walked away. And Fahm said, at that moment, I realized, I said I was going to trust God, and here I am, I'm lying. God, I'm, I said I was going to trust you no matter what, and I'm lying to these men. If they ever ask me again, I'll tell them the truth. I will trust you in everything. Sure enough, a few weeks later, four Viet Cong was still there, and we heard you're escaping. Is it true? And Fahm said, Yes. 53 of us are escaping. Are you going to arrest me now? And the four men looked at him and said, can we go with you? Now, they were going to escape together. And they got in their boat and got in the ocean. A storm came up. It was tossing the ship to the point that Hinfam thought they were going to die. And he, he fell on his face, began to pray and cry out, God, did you bring me here to die? Did I go through all of this to die? Where are you, God? At that moment, the four Viet Congs came up to him and says, I'm sorry. Did you not know that we're sailors? We can handle the storm. And they guided the boat to safety. Hinfam shares his faith around the world about Christ today, glorifying God, saying you can trust God. He said, it all started when I was thrown into prison, the last place you would imagine. But you can trust God. We can trust God even when we don't understand because he is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us on a cross 2,000 years ago to demonstrate his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today, you're a believer, trust God. No matter what you're going through, trust God. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer or you're watching online not a believer, I encourage you to trust God by giving your life to him, by admitting that you're a sinner, saying, I can't save myself. I believe Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago, and I confess I choose to give everything to you. We made that decision. If you're online, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here today, as we begin singing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers, or come to the Connection Center to talk to one of us. But whatever decision God has laid on your heart, trust God. Would you stand and pray with me?
Now, Father, there are so many things that happen in our world that it's difficult at times to trust you. But, Father, because of our faith, we do trust you because you're sovereign and we're not. And, Father, right now, whatever decision that needs to be made, we ask you, Father, that that decision will be made quickly, showing their trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.